0: Welcome back, everyone. We are here with another episode, and uh, today we're going to get into something pretty weighty, uh, theologically, scripturally. Um, I think that this is um, this is one of those very important topics that uh, a lot of the church disagrees on, and there's there's uh, scripture on both sides. There's good folks on I think both sides of the of the uh, the aisle here, and so. Um, I'm gonna do my best to do justice to the scriptures. That's where we need to derive doctrine from. It's It's not always easy, but we need to derive doctrine from the scriptures and not from creeds of man, not from uh, handbooks um, of a specific denomination, not by you know feeling, you know well, you know what about Grandpappy or grandma or you know it's boiling it down to, what does the scripture say? Today, we're going to talk about baptism. And baptism—is it necessary? Is—is is this something that Scripture teaches? Is this—is um, this even uh, a big deal with the early church, or is it something that later on is just kind of contrived and people started maybe adding to the gospel? Uh, so we'll try to dive into these um, these very important questions. And this incredibly important topic today, uh, taking a little bit of a break from some of the cultural stuff we've been talking about. But don't worry, there's definitely a lot of time for that. And I think there's um, there's going to be some there's going to be some episodes in the future where we really dive into some more of what's going on, trying to uh, see the mind of God for that. For those that you for those that you for those of you not familiar with the podcast, this is your life. God's word. And, and what we do is we try to apply the principles of God's kingdom to the, the things that affect us in everyday life, to the things of eternity, uh, things that are going on socially or culturally uh, within our communities, things in our family. Um, but again, looking at all of these things through the lens of God's Word through the Scriptures, because that's where we find the principles of the Kingdom of God, right? So principles of Kingdom of God into our lives, and the best way to do that is in Scripture. If you do have any uh, questions or anything like that, podcast at breadbreakers.com is a fantastic place um, for us to be able to, to to interact, right? You can email us, podcast at breadbreakers.com, and we can answer those questions Oftentimes, we'll even do a whole segment or a whole show depending on what the question might be. Now recently we had a, um, a uh, one of the pastors in, in the church taught on Sunday and he taught on on baptism and it, it's very difficult to do a topic like this justice um, in a you know in, in a 45 minute hour time frame uh, where people, um, are coming and, you know, you've got worship and you've got the Sunday crowd that uh, sometimes on a Sunday morning, people are there, they, they don't even have any of these questions or it's a lot of people that already believe a certain way or whatever it might be. And so I wanted to tag into the, the message from this past Sunday by doing a little bit more um, expository teaching, kind of taking some of the verses um, regarding baptism and going through them. Even on this podcast, though, we can't cover absolutely every potential question that could ever be asked or any point raised or whatever. So I'm going to, again, reiterate, podcast at breadbreakers.com, or you can go to our Facebook page and leave us a message there with a question. We, um, we definitely want to interact and engage, but we're going to do our best to cover everything that um, that really uh, encompasses this, this discussion today so first off we're going to go to the to the gospels because the gospels uh the the synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke all end uh, with toward the end what we would call the the great commission a lot of people refer to it as the great commission and if we go to to matthew chapter 28 this is matthew's account of the great commission uh Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age now a couple of things here are are interesting first and foremost Jesus is sort of the, the topic here he, he he comes to them and he says all authority in heaven and earth is given to me right he has accomplished on the cross what God has set him uh, to accomplish, um, and his his disciples are kind of there. You know, next steps, right? What what's going on? What, what's our what's our next our next step in this process? What do we need to do here? And Jesus says, interestingly, that they are to they are to go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Right. Therefore, all authority in heaven and earth are given to me. Therefore. Go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Again, bringing it back to Jesus. It's coming back to, he's, he's the central figure here. Go and make disciples. Who are these disciples supposed to be disciples of? They're supposed to be disciples of Jesus, obviously through the apostles, through the church, through uh, evangelism. Um, but ultimately, we're supposed to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Baptizing them, right, That, when you look at that, that indicates that part of the disciple-making process, it's a very natural uh, outflow of the disciple-making process. You're making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, kind of bringing it back to that subject of it's Jesus. He's the central figure. He's the central subject here. Surely I am with you always, always. To the very end of the age. Now, some things to point out as we continue our study is baptizing is a natural process of making disciples. It, it's not like a, well, I mean, there's, this is an, an extra special layer that only a few people it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound that way, but we can explore that as we continue. Is, is this normative? Is this normal for every disciple? Or is it only special people that are supposed to get baptized or should get baptized or might want to get baptized? Is it just a, an add-on, sort of a public display of your faith, but eh, take it or leave it, not a big deal? What, um, what is Jesus saying here? And I think we'll we'll definitely get to the answer of that by the end of this podcast. But then he says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I find this very interesting, because first he says the name. He doesn't say in the names of. He says the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Of course, we know that, I mean, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those are not names. I I think everybody can kind of grasp that. I mean, these are not names. So, if they were names... Wouldn't he say in the names of? Um, let's 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 do a little word, a, a little little word play here, but it's a thought exercise. Let's pretend um, this was uh, we need to baptize in the name of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He wouldn't say in the name of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He would say in the names of Matthew, Mark, and Luke because it's plural. It's multiple names. So it's a singular name that he's referring to here, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Another thing we can do, kind of thinking through this again, this is one of the things that you do have to do. I'm sorry, we, we as disciples we do have to think through things. We have to pray and consider. Um, it, it's not all just just easy peasy, um, feel good Christianity. In order to get proper doctrine, there there is uh, an element of study of learning of developing that has to happen but if he were to say here scratch father and holy spirit if he were to say baptizing them in the name of the son i really don't think there'd be any controversy whatsoever on this point because the name of the son is clearly jesus right if he said go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the son everybody would know well what's the name of the son I think the confusion comes in because he said the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But see, the name that is attached to the Father and the Holy Spirit is actually the name of Jesus, right? We know that throughout the Old Testament, um, the... Uh, the name of God was like kind of this progressive revelation. And we understand that Jesus is kind of that ultimate final revelation of the name of God. Um, There's a scripture. Let's see in John 5 43, where Jesus says, I am come in my father's name. So, the name attached to the to the Father, right? Jesus says that he got his name um, by inheritance. Uh, let's see if I can find that. Jesus got his name by inheritance. Let me see if I can look at that. But we understand that so it's in Hebrews uh, Hebrews chapter, 1. So let's go look at that really quick. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's start with verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of of God's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited he has inherited is superior to theirs so again right he he got his name through inheritance. The name of the Father is not Father. It is not Father. So, what name is attached to the Father? You could say, well, God. God is not a name. Okay, God is not a name. The the revelation of the name of Jesus was given to us in the New Testament. Jesus exclaims, that he came in his father's name, and the writer of Hebrews lets us know that Jesus's name came by inheritance. So the the name attached to the uh, the pronoun is that a pronoun? No, that's not a pronoun. The title. <laughs> Sorry, um, never claimed to be an English major or English whiz, <laughs> um, but the the title of father right this this noun that we that we attach to to God again the name is Jesus Christ and this is why Jesus said that he came in his father's name hebrews lets us know he inherited his name and in matthew 28 it says in the name of the father and of the Son. So, what's the name of the Son? Well, the name of the Son is Jesus. That's that's pretty easy. Um, and now, the Holy Spirit is not a name as well. Okay, we, we I think that's pretty obvious. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness, uh, That that is not a name. However, Jesus said that the Father will send the Holy Spirit... In a specific name so if we go to John chapter uh, 14 we can find that uh, around verse 26 let's see here but the Advocate the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you so the name attached to the holy spirit whose name is the spirit kind of working under whose name is the spirit um, sent under it it is the name of jesus now this could open the door to a to a discussion on you know trinitarianism versus unitarianism versus oneness versus dualism versus <laughs> but I, I i'll just i'll just say this it doesn't matter if you're Unitarian, Trinitarian, Oneness. It n- that actually doesn't matter at this point, because if you're Oneness, you know it's it, it, Jesus. It's I think it's probably a little easier concept. If you're Trinitarian, uh, the the name that is attached. to, to God in kind of like his highest form, we'll say, or, or the greatest revelation of his name is Jesus, right? At the name of Jesus in Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? Well, why not at the name of the Father? Why not at the name of the Holy Spirit? Because God has chosen the name of Jesus, to be the name in which all authority dwells, the name by which he gets things done, the name by which he sends the Spirit, the name by which we are baptized. Getting back to the discussion at hand, that name is the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want I want you to do something. If you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, I want you to do something for me. I want you to get a, get a pen, or a pencil or whatever. Uh, maybe you're sitting at a keyboard or you're on your phone. Um, open a note app. Open Word. Okay. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to write down one name. Okay. Any name. I want you to write down one name and then set it aside. Type in one name. Set it aside however you however you're doing it. Um, or right now you can just think of and say out loud one name and we'll get back to that at the, at the end of this, um, of this podcast. But I want to, again, just kind of right now at the beginning of this thing, we'll get to it later, but write down one name and, uh, and then set it aside and we will, we will get back to it. So that's Matthew. That's Matthew's account. Um, let's go to the book of Mark chapter 16 verse 16 and it says uh, he said to them go into all the world well this is verse 15 he said to them go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned So, again, Mark's account of the Great Commission. He he doesn't mention the name. He doesn't mention any of that here. But he does, again, record, Mark records the go into the world, right? Preach the gospel. Um, But look at verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's interesting. If I said to you, hey can can you run to the store for me and grab some milk and bread? And then you go to the store and you only bring the milk back. H- have you done, have you followed the command? Or I guess in this in this case, request. <laughs> okay. No, you haven't, right? There's a conjunction there and it grabs two things and puts them together. I'm sure, like I said, I'm not a, English major or English whiz or English professor, I'm sure they could explain it a lot better, but you have and a conjunction of two things. I want you to do this and this, or in order to uh, graduate, you must pass this class and this class, right? You must pass math and English. We'll just say that. There's a lot more, but what happens if you only pass math? do you graduate no under that scenario there's two requirements math and english so again the the concept the word and is not difficult i don't think you need to go to the greek i don't think you need to you know do a, a 17 hour word study and I, i'm not against going to the original languages. I'm not against you know doing strong word studies on things. In fact, we need to at times to, to get a better fuller richer understanding. but I, I'm of the mind that the the average person average intelligence that has some diligence that wants to dive into scripture can can get some good um, reputable translations of the Bible and understand the, the, the gospel, understand the concepts that God wants us to get. So if we if we get back here, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Just on, But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Oh, it doesn't say whoever does not believe or is not baptized. Um, it's kind of obvious if you don't believe, you're not going to get baptized. How many, whoever in the history of Christianity gets baptized and doesn't believe... Unless there's some kind of duress, like you're threatening somebody. <laughs> I, I, I will slit your throat right now if you don't get baptized. Okay, that person may not believe, but may get baptized. But let's just, okay, let's just quit with the silliness. At the end of the day, you're not, you're not getting baptized if you don't believe. Okay? Um, so, it, it doesn't require a negation of both pieces. All right? If we don't believe, we will also not get baptized. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's interesting because a lot of people don't necessarily believe that's the case. And we should continue to study Scripture and see if it's the case, but at least that one verse seems to—if you just read that, I mean, you would seem— It would seem to indicate that baptism is required for salvation. But let's continue on. You have Mark. Now we have Luke. This is Luke chapter 24. So, this is, let's start with verse 44. He, Jesus, said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, right? He gave them some, he he helped them to have scriptural understanding and revelation. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things I am going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So again they they're gathered together he's telling them there's there's still there's still more to come. They're going to you know they they go and they they wait what we call the upper room and, and all that in acts which we'll get to acts in just a second here but um repentance, right, for the forgiveness of sins, it will be preached, how? In His name. Who's who's the His? He's talking about the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. What is His name? Jesus, right? Repentance, forgiveness of sins, they come by the name of Jesus. They are attached to the name of Jesus. So again, we get back to this concept that, I mean, Jesus Uh, Jesus is the sort of the central theme in many of these scriptures and much of this discourse. And that's not uh, to negate the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not, you know, uh, it's not to take away from other concepts in the scriptures, but it is to show when it comes to the authority of, Right, what name has the authority? What name is the is sort of the the focal point that God has decided? Now, again, this isn't men in a room voting like who's which which of these names is the coolest we should go with. God has decided this. This is this is all part of God's plan. So it gets it gets back to that, and also that it's going to begin in Jerusalem and that's where they were supposed to go and wait for the promise of the father. So let's before we get to um, acts 2 where this actually happens it occurs um, let's quickly go to um, a couple of scriptures I've already I've already quoted one but we'll go to we'll go to Philippians 2. receives the glory when we worship when we recognize when we give due obeisance um, to the name of Jesus Christ because that is the name that God decided would be you know sort of name above name above all names um, in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 um, it let's, let's, let's back up to verse uh, 9 here, just so we get the context. Oh, verse 8, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed. So again, the focus is Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. Who's the no one? Still talking about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What's the name? Jesus. The only name he's talking about is the name of Jesus through this entire passage. So, we have Philippians 2, we have Acts 4, right? Which, what are these scriptures doing? Uh, These scriptures are showing the preeminence of not just Jesus the person, right? Jesus in his in his deity or jesus in his function or it's the actual name of jesus right then when we go to colossians 3 17 it says whatever you do whether in word or deed do it all in the name of the lord jesus right but check this out giving thanks to god the father through him so reiterating again the same thing we found in philippians that god receives the glory when the name of jesus is magnified when the name of jesus is focused upon it's not that we're it's not that we're saying that you know the role of the father or you know the 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 eternal spirit is insignificant it's that's not what we're saying we are saying in this in these scripture passages or maybe I should say we are seeing, we are seeing this in these scriptures, that there is a preeminence of the name of Jesus. It's the only name that we're saved by. It's the name above all names, according to Philippians 2, the name that all knees will bow to, right? It's the name that in in all that we do, word or deed, we should do all in the name of Jesus. Getting back, back to baptism, Why would baptism be the one exception? We should do all in the name of Jesus except baptism. That one we should do a different way. That, I mean, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, we're going to get into the book of Acts, and we're going to see this in practice, and we will find that when we read the book of Acts, there is not a single instance where someone was baptized another way. It was always in the name of Jesus. So let's look at that for a minute here. Uh, I'm spending a lot of time on this on this piece because uh this is one of the I think large points of contention within the church and I don't think it needs to be I I, I think it I think it just doesn't need to be a, it shouldn't be a point of contention because all Christians that, that that are in any way serious about their faith have done any kind of reading and studying in the word of God they know these scriptures already they already know that Jesus is the you know is the uh the Focal point they already know that that Jesus Christ is the name of all names. They already know that's who we have salvation in So I think it's just getting over that 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 hurdle sometimes of tradition or maybe you know religious dogma that We we need to go. Hey, wait a minute Why would we do things differently than what they did in the Bible? now when we get to Acts chapter 2 um uh, we, you can go read the the all the context yourself we have this powerful happening on the day of Pentecost people uh, speaking in tongues and and we've got uh you know the, the crowds gathered around thinking these guys are drunk what's going on here um, and then we have um, we have Peter preaching an incredible you know convicting message about Jesus the message of Christ and then he kind of rounds it out with verse 36 this is acts 236. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Or some versions say Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, they weren't asking, what do we need to do to bake the perfect cake. They they were not asking, what do we we need to do to build the greatest model airplane? They weren't asking how to join the Boy Scouts. They were not asking anything besides men and brothers, (laughs) we're cut to the heart based on the words you just let us know. We have killed our Messiah. What do we need to do? Here's what Peter said, verse 38. Oh, the other thing I'd like to point out, Peter and the other apostles, all the apostles were there standing in unison, standing in agreement. This is the second time in this chapter that it mentions that all the apostles were there. So there's no disagreement between Matthew and Peter. There's no disagreement between, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go with the words in red versus, no. There was no disagreement. They were all standing there. Peter happened to be the spokesperson, but they were all standing there in agreement, and they were asking everyone. They were asking all of the apostles, hey, wh- what do we do? Because you know they don't necessarily, they're looking at Peter, they don't necessarily know he's the spokesperson anyway. So they weren't just talking to him, they were talking to all these folks. And then Peter replied in verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's break this down a little bit. There's another and, right? Repent and be baptized, right? Who? Every one of you. Not certain ones that maybe just want to show an extra, um, you know, cherry on top for your faith or whatever. Every one of you needs to get baptized. Every one of you needs to repent. In the name of Jesus Christ, again reiterating, how how are we supposed to get baptized? He didn't say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Could it be that all the things that I just walked through, is it possible the apostles already knew this? Is it possible is it possible that through the revelation that they had, through the understanding of being with Jesus for, you know, 3 years that they knew that Name above all names is Jesus. That there's no salvation in any other. That the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is Jesus. Um, I would say yes. Otherwise, you have Peter in contradiction to Matthew. Is that where we want to go? We want to go with there were, there were there were contradictions between the apostles. There was an infight, and you know some people went out over here, and others one out over there. I don't think so. Um, especially because all the apostles are right there standing there when he said this <laughs> so repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ why why do we repent and get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins other translations say the remission of sins but again if i were to if i were to flip this around and I were just to ask the question, according to this verse, what do we need to do for the forgiveness of our sins? You would say, right, simple reading comprehension. I mean, this is like one of those things you, you know, you might shudder to think about it, if, if <laughs> depending on how long it's been. But, you know, one of those questions on like the SAT or something, right? Reading comprehension. Oh, read this sentence and then tell me, what's the answer? What must be done for the forgiveness of your sins well peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins now the every one of you that's the who who is supposed to do this but the this is repent and be baptized how in the name of jesus christ so why do we do that for the forgiveness of sins so you've got the who it's all of you how should how should the baptism be done right in the name of Jesus Christ and I would say the again the repentance too Re, this is Luke 24 repentance is taught in his name so it's really, it's Jesus, it's in Jesus, it's in Jesus Christ from beginning to end. It, he is the, 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 the Lord of this entire process. It's not Jesus is only relegated to baptism over here and he has nothing to do with anything else, right? When we're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit comes in whose name? In Jesus' name, according to John 14. We just read it, right? So Jesus is a part of this entire process. He's Lord over this entire process. Makes sense, because all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to Him, right? Uh, so repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. So if we want our sins forgiven, again, according to this scripture, it looks it looks like repent and be baptized. Now, does that does that tie in with, with anything we've already seen? I think it ties in with Mark 16. Mark 16 said, He that believes and is baptized. Right? So it's saying here we must repent and be baptized. So, I think this ties in nicely with with all the scriptures we've already read. We have the preeminence of the name of Jesus, right? We have um, the every one of you, and actually, he goes on. The promise is for you, your children, all are far off, for all whom our Lord, our the Lord our God, shall call. So it's for everyone. This promise is for everyone, and. We know, again, from the Great Commission, whoever believes, right? It, this is to be preached to all nations, right? The, these are the, the themes that came from that Great Commission where Peter was standing there listening to those words of Jesus, and I think he did them justice. I think he preached what Jesus said to preach. Um, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we know Jesus said, I'm going to send the promise of the Father, and so it ties in beautifully with the, the Gospels, with the Great Commission that we find in the Gospels. So we have repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So it's for all. Whoever the Lord calls, this message is for them. Repentance, baptism, filling of the Spirit. So then if we if we head on over to a few other places in the book of Acts, we'll see, well, is this message consistent? Because I, I have, I think I've heard people argue that, that that was only for the Jews though, that that method of salvation, that method of, you know um, uh, uh, of doing things, it that actually is just for the Jews. Now, I think we need to put this in a little bit of context as well when it comes to um, the broader scope, the the stepping back and looking at this holistically. And that is John chapter 3. When we go to John chapter 3, this is where Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, um, this is verse 2, toward the end of verse 2. Rabbi, we know... You're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Verse 4, How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. So he's asking about being born again, and Jesus is going to answer how to be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So, again, the, the, the grand scheme of things is, is for us to be in the kingdom of God. You've got kingdoms of man, you were born into a fallen kingdom, um, and Jesus is giving us a way to be rebirthed, reborn, born again, right? He is giving us that opportunity. How do we do that? We do that by being born of water and of spirit. Does that tie in? Does that tie in to the the message? I think it does. I think it does. I think when we go to Acts chapter 2 and we see what Peter said, you've got to repent and be baptized, right? Do those things for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Baptism born of water, right? Pretty pretty easy. And spirit, John 3, water and spirit. Acts 2, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have water and spirit in Acts 2. You have water and spirit in John 3. Again, these things really seem, and I'll say Luke 24, you have water and spirit. Okay. Repentance, right? Remission of sins, preaching in his name. And then he says, and by the way, wait for the promise of the Father. Well, the promise of the Father was the Spirit. So repentance and remission of sins, what well, we know now in Acts 2, that's baptism, right? Repentance, remission of sins, because repentance and remission of sins, or repentance and baptism are the kind of the dual things that we need to. Um, for the forgiveness of sins So so a lot this, this all ties in You've got Jesus saying you need to be born into the kingdom Born again Born into the kingdom How do you do that? Water and spirit Then you've got the great commission Go, right Make disciples Baptize them It's a normal process for disciples Wait for the promise of the Father There's going to be repentance and repentance Forgiveness of sins that are, that are going to be preached, right? All of this stuff ties into Acts chapter 2. But, okay, I hear you. Maybe that's just for the Jews, but there's a different way for the Gentiles. There's a different way for the Gentiles to be saved. Let's go look. In Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we find where. The church is persecuted, and Philip ends up in Samaria. Uh, quick synopsis here, right? They the people in Samaria, Philip preaches to them, preaches Christ. They they turn from their, their previous ways, their wicked ways, following Simon the sorcerer and all this stuff. Um we're going to pick up in verse 12. But when they, the people of this of the city, believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God right so he was proclaiming the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God they sent Peter and John <clears throat> they sent Peter and John to Samaria when they arrived They prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. So, baptized in the name of Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit. This is consistent with Acts 2. Acts 2 when he was talking to the Jews, he said, "Water and Spirit," that ties with John three. It ties with the Great Commission. Hmm. Very interesting. But these are right. These are people in Samaria. They're they're, they're you know they do have Jewish blood. Uh, maybe it's different when people are, you know, com- completely just you know straight up Gentiles. Well, let's go look, because. In Acts chapter ten, we find Cornelius. Right, and you can again go and do, do the diligence. Re- read this in context. Read read the entirety of Acts ten. Read read all through Acts. I mean, this is important. This is important stuff. We find that uh, Cornelius he was a uh, very well spoken of in the scriptures. Um, says that in verse two of Acts chapter ten, he and all his family were devout and God fearing. Uh, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Okay, so by 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 our standards, right? He's a good guy. I mean, he believes God, he has faith, he's praying. But he is told by an angel to send for Peter, and then Peter shows up and he preaches the message of Jesus Christ. And we pick up in verse 44 as he's preaching Jesus. um, Actually, let's go to verse uh, 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So I want to just stop right there and reiterate that Jesus is Lord of the entire process. It's through the name of Jesus that we we receive the forgiveness of sins it is through the name it is in the name of Jesus it is Jesus who we believe in okay verse 44 while peter was still speaking these words the holy spirit came on all who heard the message the circumcised believers who had come with peter were astonished that the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out even on gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues praising god so, even the Gentiles, the Jewish believers originally didn't really expect that the Gentiles were going to have all this, but here, that, that's why they were astonished. They were amazed. They were you know, perplexed. Um, but they, they clearly see that the Gentiles have received the Spirit. Then Peter said, continuing on with verse 46 here, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So we have the Jews in Acts chapter 2. We have the the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And then we have the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Consistency throughout each of these passages. What's that consistency? The same consistency from John 3, born of water and spirit. Again, the point is to be born again into God's kingdom, born as a child of the king, born into his kingdom. How do we do that? Jesus is the one who told us how to do that. God gets to decide this thing, not 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 you or me. Okay. If it were you or me, we might, we might make it more difficult or maybe we'll make it a lot easier or whatever. But God decided you have to be born into my kingdom, my being, you know, God speaking. You have to be born into my kingdom. How do you do that? Born again of water and spirit. <clears throat> For the Jews, water and spirit. For the Samaritans, water and spirit. Now we see the Gentiles, water and spirit. There's no difference. And and in fact, right, he commanded them to be baptized. That's something that I think many, many, many churches today would find offensive. Commanding that people get baptized. It's not just an extra thing that maybe we want to do, an outward show of our inward faith or something like that. No, he said, nah (laughs) <laughs> it's not a hey we're having baptism service in you know in, in in four or five weeks and if you guys want to sign up you know just let us know it'd be really cool you know get some good footage and have a great time have a barbecue afterward um that's not, I'm, uh, and i'm not against a baptism service i'm just saying it wasn't like kind of a flippant think about it maybe sort of if you want to it's not it's one it's an option you have he commanded that they get baptized So then we go to the last instance here that I want to reference in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 19. Well, the last instance in this series right here because we're coming back to Acts later. (laughs) Um, In Ephesus, Acts 19 and 1, while Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So, these are disciples. They are believers. He clearly says they believed. The scriptures tell us he found disciples. And look at this. They answered, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So, Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? It's interesting that he, again, he links... The Holy Spirit with baptism. It's not that interesting, or I mean, it's, I guess it's always interesting, but it's not that difficult to imagine why. When you look at this through the lens of John 3, water and spirit, of Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, when you look at it through the lens of Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, it's not that difficult to follow. It is difficult, this whole scenario, the, the questions, none of it makes any sense whatsoever if you derive your theology other than from Scripture. If you derive your theology from something that, it doesn't mean you don't use Scripture, right, but imposing something on the Scriptures that may or may not be there. but But it makes perfect sense. He's like, wait a minute. Your believers, your disciples, but you—you you haven't received the Spirit yet. Um, then, then how are you baptized? John's baptism. They replied. Verse four. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, so they had repented. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So you have it again in Acts 19. This is with people who are considered believers slash disciples. Yet they still get rebaptized in the name of. They'd already been baptized. John already baptized them, but they got rebaptized this time in the name of Jesus. So. The consistency is there. It's all people groups, because there's only three types of people groups, right? There's Jews, there's half-Jews, or partial Jews, right? And there's everybody else with no Jewish blood. That's Gentiles. All those people groups are addressed, Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 10. And it's the same message, the same process. Born of water and spirit. There's repentance, just like he said in Acts 2. There's, There's baptism in the name of Jesus, and there's filling of the Spirit. Every single, at one hundred percent of the times, where we are given uh, some insight into the process, into what went on, into what happened, we find this consistent pattern. Okay, it is consistent. Now there are times in the in the Book of Acts that maybe it only talks about belief, or maybe, but each and every time when we get sort of the the whole scenario what went on kind of what what happened with these groups and in every one of the instances a hundred percent where there's a new people group being introduced right consistent message born again (laughs) born into the kingdom praise god baptism is that key crucial critical element in every single one of these scenarios so, it, again, it's odd that people would try to omit it in today's world so often. So, let's, let, let's look at something here um, outside of the book of Acts. Let's go to the, let's go to the epistles. So, we have, we have the Gospels, talk about baptism. We have the epistles, or I'm sorry, we have the book of Acts, baptism. Let's go to the epistles. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus... Were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Now let's just stop right there. He continues on in the verse, but let's stop right there. What is our death? is we died to sin. What is our burial? It is baptism. We were therefore buried with him, okay, with Christ. How were we buried with Christ? Through baptism if you haven't been baptized, are you buried with Christ? He says, baptism is the way we are buried with Christ. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Wait, in order that? So, how, how is it that we can live a new life? Some more reading comprehension. Let's throw that question out there. Go read, you know, uh, Romans 6, 1 through 4, and answer this question. Uh, how, how is it that we may live a new life? How? We were buried with Him through baptism into death. <laughs> right? In order that, what? We too may have a new life. It, it, it's very, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty plain. Verse 5 goes on to say, For if, that's a, there's a word there, if we have been united with him in death like this, like what? How were we united with him in death? Through baptism. That's what the scriptures teach. <laughs> it's through baptism. If we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resur- in a resurrection like this. We can't be, how can we be resurrected if we never died? We res- resurrect means something that ha- was living, now is it died, now it's resurrected. The word if, if we've been united with him in death, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection. So In the epistles, baptism is pretty important. Pretty important. Now, check this out. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So, how, how, how do we die with Christ? How do we die with Christ? Well, he answered it already. Verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him in bat- by baptism into death. Baptism sounds pretty important to me. I'm, I'm just saying. It, now, he also told the Colossian church, if we go to Colossians chapter 2, so that was Romans chapter 6. If we go to Colossians chapter 2, let's go to verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, reiterating what Matthew records. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Oh, we were circumcised in Christ. What's what's that circumcision? Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Wow, buried with him in baptism. That sounds like Romans chapter 6. You mean Paul was consistent in his theology? He didn't tell the Romans one thing and the Colossians another thing? And that consistency was with what we see in Acts 19, Acts 10, Acts 8, Acts 2. It's even consistent with Matthew 28, Luke 24, Mark 16, and consistent with John 3. The beautiful consistency of the Bible should compel us, compel us to come to the correct answer. Not creeds of man. In fact, he warns against that right here in the scripture that we're in. Colossians 2 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human. Tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We're buried with him in baptism. Verse 12 opens up with, we're in Colossians 2, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, linking that resurrection with what? With the baptism. Uh, it's it, it, it it's it's super clear actually it's just are we bogged down sometimes with traditions that that cause us maybe cause us to to second guess the word of god <clears throat> i would say we need to look at scripture for was it for what it is and just listen to God obey God that that that's 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 all we that's all we can do now look at galatians chapter 3 galatians 326 says so in Christ Jesus you were all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So once again, right? baptism does not sound like this side issue. We're all children of God through faith, Right there's the belief, believe and be baptized. All right, you get baptized and you don't really believe. This is why I, this is why I I'm I'm very concerned sometimes when people, when, when either people, individuals, denominations, churches, whatever it is, kind of push people, manipulate people, or con people, or you know, uh, scare people into getting baptized. I think people really need to have faith in what the what's going on, faith in. In who Jesus is faith in him being the Lord of their lives giving giving them you know his righteousness imparting it to them they need to have faith in Christ faith in the Lord not just I, I checked the box and I'm good so uh, it is through faith it is through faith um, uh, that is that is the absolute necessity because we aren't saved by works. See, you, you you can you can do whatever you want to do. Baptism is just an outflow of faith. It, it is just a an action of faith. Uh, it's an extension of faith. It is not some work of the law that man. I checked the box. I got baptized. So now I'm saved. Uh, no. Or now I'm in the kingdom of God. No. We only you only get any of this through faith. And, and really, as as Ephesians says, through grace. Um, <clears throat> it's by grace through faith. God's grace is what gives us the opportunity to even be a child of God, to be born again, to to, to share in these things. And it's our faith, it's our faith that unlocks any of this stuff. Um, however, through faith, verse 26 of Galatians 3, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I personally want want Jesus Christ to be that that armor for me. I want Him to be the thing that I'm I'm wrapped in. I want Him to be that thing that protects me from 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 the forces that would try to destroy my soul or my my family. Uh, that's what I want. Isn't that what you want? I, I I would think that that's pretty consistent for for any and all believers. Again, I think I think what happens is we we get bogged down many times in the in the traditions of man, we get bogged down into, into tradition that maybe doesn't even come from a good scriptural basis, but it's just what we were raised in, or it's what, you know, mom and dad believed, or what grandpa believed, or whatever, or maybe grandpa was a, was a horrible rotten guy, and then he, you know, he developed in faith and, and got better, but he didn't believe this way. It, what does that matter? That it, grandpa's between, that's between grandpa and God, but 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 the thing that we see here in Scripture is over and over and over and over iterated and reiterated. Um, the last place I'm going to go is First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now, so far, let, let's look at that. Just as not even not even looking at what the rest of this says, how are we? How do we tap into this? He was put to death in the body, right? But we're linked to Christ when we're buried with Him in baptism. That His death becomes our death. We died to sin. We die. We don't actually physically go out and you know dig a hole and jump in and get buried or whatever. We uh, we attach our it, it, His. The beauty is so beautiful. The his death is imputed to us. His death is imputed to us through repentance, right? His burial imputed to us through that baptism. We are linking up with Christ in this. And His resurrection, right, through the infilling of the Spirit, His resurrection is, again, imputed to us. And, of course, we know that when when we're filled with the Spirit, according to Romans uh, chapter 8, that there will be an actual uh, physical resurrection for us as well. But even now, through the Spirit, we can live a new life. But look at this. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. After being made alive, He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, the ark, only a few people eight in all were saved through water and this water right the water of the ark all of that that was right that was back in the old testament what was all that what was going on verse 21 and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also what baptism saves us? How? What? But that's what the Scriptures teach. Hold on a second. Let's look at it again. In the ark, there were eight people saved through water. Right? Many people think they were saved from the water, but see, in God, yes, in a a way, their physical death, right, they were saved from the water, but in God's eyes, He was saving them with the water. What was the water doing? Destroying all the evil destroying the thing that separates man from God it was this it was washing all that away that water in Noah's day is a symbol a symbol of what a symbol of baptism because now we have baptism right the the, the symbol was kind of pointing us there looking at this right baptism that saves us saves you also then he goes on to explain it's not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience towards god so it's not you know you're getting baptized you're washing some kind of dirt off or anything it's a it's a it's it's a faith a mindset right it, the conscience towards god that's our faith that's in it otherwise you literally are just getting a bath <laughs> it doesn't do much for you if you don't have that faith Uh, Clear conscience toward God It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ Who has gone into heaven And is at God's right hand With angels, authorities, and powers And submission to Him So how does it save us? It's by that resurrection of Jesus Christ It's in Christ Our faith is in Christ Our faith is not in the baptism We put our faith in Christ And because of that faith We are buried with Him in baptism Right? That is what the Scriptures teach So, 1 Peter chapter 3 agrees with Mark 16. Mark 16 records Jesus' words as he that believes and is baptized will be saved. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, baptism saves us. And that's what it says baptism that now saves you also. So, consistency from the Gospels to the book of Acts through the epistles right? We've read Galatians, Colossians, Romans, First Peter. We have consistency in what baptism does. Baptism is a, a linking up, a way that we identify with Christ in His death, in His burial. And that gives us, according to Romans, the opportunity, right, in order that we can walk in that newness of life, walk in that resurrection. You can't have resurrection without the death and the burial, right? That's, that's, what's, that's, that's what he's getting at. There's that resurrection component. Colossians chapter 2 reiterated this. Just after warning, don't be bogged down with man-made philosophies and traditions that pull us away from Christ. What does Christ say? Christ said, be born again of water and spirit. Christ said, baptizing them in the name. Christ said, he that believes and is baptized. Christ said, repentance, remission of sins, right? Promise of the Father. Christ is the one that commissioned the apostles who said what? Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Spirit. This is where, we need to put our faith and our trust in Christ, and obedience to Christ is the outflow of faith, because the last thing I want to kind of talk about here is probably the most common objection that I've heard, and that's the only one I'm going to deal with now because we're already going pretty long in this uh, in this podcast, but it's a lot of information, a lot here, and I, I'm not even doing it justice. I could probably go for five hours and, and still keep going, but Perhaps the greatest objection to the very clear teaching of baptismal regeneration, that's the fancy term, Uh, how do you get away from that? Now, I know there's scriptures that, again, that talk about it's faith, and yes, but faith leads to something. Faith leads—there's action that needs to uh, be—Paul, not Paul, John— John the Baptist, right? Show me the proof. Show me the evidence that you repented. Well, show me the evidence that you truly have faith in Christ. The evidence is we're going to repent, be baptized, be filled with the Spirit. True faith leads somewhere. True faith requires something. And so that's why the apostles taught it. It's consistent throughout the book of acts it's consistent throughout all of scripture the necessity of baptism first peter baptism saves us however i think one of the if not the most common objection is well that's that's works based salvation isn't it isn't that works based salvation well let's look at that for a second in james chapter 2 We're going to go to verse 18. Oh, let's go to verse 14. We got a little bit bit of time here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So that's sort of a rhetorical question. There's faith, there's saving faith, and there's non-saving faith, okay? Can faith without deeds, faith without action, can that kind of faith actually save you? The answer obviously is no, but he goes on to uh, delineate this in a little bit greater detail. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. So he's going to use an analogy here. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it in the same way so he's saying just being like oh yeah you know words oh yeah go and ha- you know be, be fed be clothed absolutely but you there's no doing he's saying i'm going to use this analogy to show you it's obvious duh that doesn't do any good what good is it it's no good in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead In other words, actionless faith is useless. It's no good. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham, watch this now, considered righteous for what he did? Well, I thought it was faith alone. I'm going to read that again. Verse 21, James 2. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, the scripture was fulfilled. It was complete. It was completed. It was made perfect. How? Because the action showed the faith is true. So to say it it, it was his faith is completely true. Completely true. But to say it was his actions is completely true as well. It's not faith or actions. It's faith with actions. It's faith and action. Or, I like to say it this way, true faith requires action. That's what the writer of James, the Apostle James, that's what he said. He said, true faith has to have action so this idea of i have faith and you know there's no action required that kind of faith is not saving faith that kind of faith is useless that kind of faith is no good so i'm going to read this again abraham believed god it was credited him for righteousness he was called god's friend you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone the only place in the bible that i'm aware of where the words faith alone are found is right here where it says it's not by faith alone salvation is not by faith alone unless your definition of faith is correct and that's where so many people get it wrong i would agree that it's by faith alone because ephesians says that right by grace are you saved through faith not of yourselves right not of works like lest lest anyone should boast not of yourselves right <clears throat> it's by grace are you saved through faith we're saved through faith but that definition of faith is now extremely key that faith leads to actions of obedience things like repentance things like baptism if we have the kind of faith necessary to save, necessary to get us into the kingdom of God, we will be baptized. There is no question as to whether we will. We absolutely will because that is obedience to God. That's that's what I want to deal with here because, again, many people have this, no, 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 if, it, if any effort is required, if there's any effort whatsoever required, then that's workspace uh, salvation. You don't find that in the Scriptures anywhere. Where is that in the Scriptures? The Scripture does talk about faith and, you know, faith being the thing and all that, but it doesn't say faith without any action or faith without any effort. Verse 25 goes on to say, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and set them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So what are the deeds? What are the deeds? What deeds are we talking about? In this context, I think it's very simple. It's right there in one sentence in Acts 2. What do we need to do? Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. It's not that difficult. There's not much there. It, there's, there's some effort, but it's all by faith. It's all by grace. Um. So I would, I, again, I think that might be jarring. That might be something you've never heard before, but think about it this way. When you say, faith alone, or it's only by faith, or... Let me ask you two a couple of things. First, does that mean repentance is not required? It's just believe you don't actually have to repent? I, I don't think, I think most Christians would not say that. I think most Christians would say, oh, absolutely you have to repent. Ah, so is it just faith or is it faith and repentance? Well, I mean, repentance isn't, isn't works. Depends on how you define works. If works equals action, if works equals effort, then if you have to repent to be saved, then that's works-based salvation. I would argue that's not works-based salvation. That's salvation by faith. But the faith requires repentance. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. He God commands all people everywhere to repent. So, I would say repentance is pretty important. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached... That they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is Paul. This is Paul. This is the guy that wrote Romans, right? The the, the one who said, right, we are justified by faith. Well, what does he what does he mean? He preached and told people they must repent. They they need to demonstrate and even demonstrate that repentance by their deeds mm it's faith alone but what what they what they mean by faith alone many times when people say that is literally faith without any action faith with nothing nothing to show for it which is not the kind of faith the Bible is talking about okay so let's go uh let's see here let's go look at Luke 13 3. Luke 13.3, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. This is something that is throughout the scriptures, the idea of repentance. But so many people are like, no, 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 it's just faith. Again, the Bible doesn't say just faith. Faith does have some action it it does have effort and i think most people who believe that salvation or coming into god's kingdom is only by faith most people would still yeah but of course you have to repent they would say well that's part of the faith exactly exactly now let's go to let's go to romans chapter 10 this is a very popular scripture where a lot of people Along these lines, same thing. Romans chapter 10, um, verses 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. So again, do, does there have to be any kind of profession or confession? or do you just have certain brain waves and certain neurons firing and boom you are saved or does there have to be some kind of confession does there have to be some kind of proclamation does there have to be some kind of uh prayer do you need to do you have to pray do you have to mouth some words and do, is there anything required or is it just a brain thing just a nod like that and boom you're saved Again, I don't think most Christians believe that. I don't think most. I think naturally most Christians fall into the the category that they will believe. Yes, you need to repent, and yes, uh, there has to be some kind of confession or prayer or something. Not just, you know, a nod like that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say, if repentance is necessary, and the scriptures teach it is, and confession, confessing Jesus as Lord, right? That that's necessary. Why can't baptism be necessary? It's the same thing. It's the guy. It's, it's the exact same thing. Baptism is simply effort slash action slash deed that is that is indicative of the, the true faith that you have. God laid out specific actions that should be taken as a result of your faith he didn't just leave us to well you just show your faith however you want to right he didn't tell Cain and Abel then yeah, do whatever you want to do you know as long as you acknowledge me there was a specific thing he was looking for Abel brought it Cain did not and so Cain's uh, and so God said ah oh, I don't receive what you're I'm not picking up what you're putting down, bro. He didn't strike him dead. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. If you do what's right, you'll be received. And that's what I would say to people. Now, God is there for you. He's there for me. And repentance, most Christians would say, yes, that's part of that faith. And I'm going to say the scriptures teach that's true, but it teaches also that baptism is, is a part of that as well. So, is baptism necessary? I believe that the Scriptures are indicating to us baptism is necessary. Let's recap. The natural flow of discipleship, part of it is going to be baptizing people, Matthew 28, 19. The uh, idea of, of faith, of belief, must have baptism attached if we want to be saved. That's Mark 16. He that believes and is baptized. Luke tells us repentance, remission of sins should be preached in his name, the name of Jesus, right? To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Where do we see that fulfilled? In Acts. Well, What was the message that Jesus gave in John? Now, there's no quote-unquote great commission in John, but we have in John 3, he says you must be born of water and spirit to enter or really even to see or perceive the kingdom of God. Water and spirit. When we get to Acts 2, I think it fulfills all these things. What do we need to do? You need to repent. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You need to... And and you will receive the, the, the gift of the Spirit. We must receive the gift of the Spirit. Right? God will... Uh, provide all these things through His grace, you must do them as a show of your faith. So it ties in very nicely. Water and Spirit. Water baptism. Spirit infilling. Repentance and remission of sins. Yep. So we've got John 3. We've got Luke 24. Believe and be baptized. Mark 16. Check that box. Preach. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Boom, check that box. Historically, we know that the baptismal formula was originally in Jesus' name, and it was changed, um, kind of in the mainstream, I'll say. Canny's Encyclopedia of Religion... Um, 1970 version, page 53, says this. Persons were baptized at first in the name of Jesus Christ or in the name of the Lord Jesus. Afterwards, with the development of the doctrine of the Trinity, they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. Encyclopedia Britannica, 11th edition, 1920, volume 2, page 365. The Trinitarian Formula and and Trine Immersion were not uniformly used from the beginning. Baptism into the name of the Lord was the normal formula of the New Testament. In the 3rd century, baptism in the name of Christ was still so widespread that Pope Stephen, in opposition to Cyprian of Carthage, declared it to be valid. So even into the 3rd century, baptism in the name of Christ, I mean, that was the way... It happened. Encyclopedia Biblica, 1899, Volume 1, page 473. It is natural to conclude that baptism was administered in the earliest times in the name of Jesus Christ or in that of the Lord Jesus. This view is confirmed by the fact that the earliest forms of the baptismal confession appear to have been single, not triple, as was later creed. Triple meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit the catholic encyclopedia volume 2 page 263 the baptismal formula was changed from the name of jesus christ to the words father son and holy spirit by the catholic church in the second century the new schaff herzog encyclopedia of religious knowledge volume 1 page 435 jesus however cannot have given his disciples the trinitarian order of baptism After his resurrection, for the New Testament knows only baptism in the name of Jesus. Now look at the scripture references. Acts 2, 38. Acts 8, 16. Acts 19, 5. They have more here, but that's three of the four that we went through in the book of Acts. Right? Let's go back to Acts 2 in the name of Jesus. And this message, right, consistent with the Gospels, consistent with entering the kingdom, is consistent throughout the book of Acts. Acts 8, 15, and 16. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? They were filled with the Spirit. Acts 10, with the Gentiles. Kind of verses 44 through 48. And there, he commanded them to be baptized. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a man. Eh, It'd be nice. Commanded them. You've received the Spirit. Get baptized. Then Acts nineteen. Finding disciples and believers. Told them they need to get rebaptized in the name of Jesus, and that's when they were filled with the Spirit. We've looked at the epistles, Romans chapter eight. I'm sorry, chapter 6, Colossians 2, 1 Peter chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. Over and over and over we find the criticality of of baptism, the criticality of baptism. Now, I'm going to go back to to end this. Hopefully, you uh, had a chance to write down one name on a piece of paper. I said to do that earlier. If you... If you could, or maybe type it in, or even just say one name. So here's my question. Here's my question. Let's see if I have a piece of paper around here. I do. Let me just grab this. I said, write down one name. And those of you uh, listening can't see can't see this, but is this what you wrote down? Is that what you wrote down? I said please write down one name on a piece of paper and I'm now holding up a piece of paper that has the words one name on it. O N E N A M E. One name. Probably you you wrote something down like John, or Tammy, or Johnny cuz little Johnny Maybe it was Bob or maybe it was Taylor. Maybe it was Rebecca. I don't know. I just don't know what name you wrote down, but I'll bet you nobody wrote down the words one name. Why? Because you obeyed the instructions. You followed the instructions. You didn't repeat them. And this is what many people do when we go to Matthew 28, 19 and repeat Jesus' words. He didn't say, repeat my words. He said, go baptize them this way. And that's why in the book of Acts, they always baptized in the name of Jesus because they followed his instructions. His instructions were to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they knew that means in the name of Jesus. So I hope this has helped. It's a lot of information here, and I uh, definitely want people to take it, digest it, listen to it again. I've tried to give the Scripture references multiple times, make sure people have the ability to follow along. Podcast at breadbreakers.com. Go to breadbreakers.com. Um, the Facebook page, Breadbreakers Church and Ministries, hit us up there with a question, or let's get together. Let's break bread. Let's do a Bible study. We can do it through Skype. We can do it through Zoom. We can. Um, uh, we we want to we want to come together, collaborate. I think the church needs to start um, being able to do this a little bit more and come to to truth. I, I these scriptures just seem to just just. <laughs> like a neon sign, state that baptism, yes, it's necessary. Um, I don't get into the, the you know, all the what-if scenarios because I'm not God and neither are you. And so I think it's up to God, when we get to heaven, who's ultimately there. But as good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, I think it's important that we teach the Word just like the Word is laid out. And I see very clearly that the Scriptures teach baptism is necessary we are buried with Christ so that we can live with him this is baptism we put Christ on like clothes like armor when we're baptized it's a spiritual circumcision it is a birth into the kingdom why would anyone not want to be baptized take take the necessity off the table even if it's not necessary why would anyone not want to do this could it be that we hold to our traditions we hold to some dogma that we were taught that we were raised with some church handbook some denominational articles of faith or confession rather than holding to the beautiful and wonderful word of almighty god i challenge you to have true faith in christ look at these scriptures hit us up podcast at breadbreaker.com or on facebook love you God bless you, and we'll catch you on the next podcast.